Well, it's good to be with you this morning, and uh, I, uh, I'm delighted to be with you and bring greetings from uh, the congregation that I pastor in Edinburgh, uh, St. Columbus Free Church, and uh, we are often in prayer uh, for you, and uh, I hope also that you're in prayer for us. I'd like us to read a short passage. It's been great to read Old and New Testament today. Uh, as uh, a regular feature of the worship. I'm going to read also a short portion from uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. It's on page 1173 of the Pew Bible. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ." In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in, accordance, in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. Amen. This is the Word of God. Now, this morning and this evening, uh, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to uh, hopefully uh, preach on the theme of grace, uh, at least uh, aspects of grace This morning I want to look at forgiveness, and this evening I want to look at fairness, about whether grace is fair. But this morning I want the theme to be on forgiveness, and I guess particularly the words that we have in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, I think whether we are in Christian company or not, there are three words that are very significant in uh, this world, three words that people uh, put a great deal of store on and uh, regard as kind of very important and precious kind of words, life-changing even. I love you. Very significant words in many people's lives. Young couples going out together. 
and know it's serious when someone says, I L-O-V-E you. They might not actually say the word, spell it out, but you know that's, you've gone beyond the Rubicon, haven't you, when you've said that. It's no longer just a kind of casual relationship. When you say, I love you, that's the big, that's the big thing, isn't it? And there are significant and important and life-changing words for many people and for all of us to know that sense of belonging and that sense of being accepted is tremendously significant. But can I say that there, uh, or suggest that there's an, an another side to this coin of grace, because these words, I love you, are very uh, grace-filled words. They're the words that we spoke about with the children, and they're the words that reflect the grace of God in our lives. But can I say on that, that coin of grace, there's another three words on the other side of that coin of grace. I am sorry. That's a significant part of the reality of grace as well, not just that we're loved, but that we're forgiven, and that both of these things come together uh, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't our churches be great, and our society be great, and our world be great? What a wonderful world this would be if we knew the significance and acted on the significance of these words, I love you and I am sorry. And so, I want for a moment to look at the power and the reality of forgiveness in our lives as Christians. I'm not sure we focus enough on the significance of forgiveness and the reality and the outworking of forgiveness in our day-to-day living. I think for us, it can be quite theoretical. It can be quite kind of academic spiritually. We kind of know in our heads that we're forgiven, but the gospel uh, gives us uh, these truths and roots them in the reality of our everyday experience, the power and the reality of forgiveness for us. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He's lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So we realize and we see from Scripture and we know from our own experience that the reality of forgiveness for us is an overflow of His grace. It's an overflow of the lavish grace that He has poured out on us. And it's not until we see that grace and we see our need of that grace will we recognize the significance of forgiveness in our lives. It's when we begin to see ourselves in our relationship with God and our need for being made right with God that we appreciate His grace and we seek forgiveness. It's when we begin to understand the cross and the expense of the cross and the commitment of the cross and the distance that God has gone on our behalf And when we see ourselves as the one who drove Him to the cross because of our need and because of our selfishness and our pride and our separation, that we begin to understand when we see His love, our need for forgiveness. It's when we can understand the cross that we go to Jesus Christ and say, I am sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. 
I'm sorry that I've driven you to this extent. Lord God, I am sorry. And you know, it's that, it's that great um, picture of Psalm 51. It's against you. You only have I sinned. Now, I know there's a, there's a, 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 a horizontal uh, aspect to forgiveness, which we'll look at as well. But the vertical reality is significant for us is that we recognize that we come into His presence and we say, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I've taken the inheritance. I'm sorry that I've filled my own pockets. I'm sorry that I've lived today without reference to you. I'm sorry that I've uh, taken all your gifts and demanded them by right. I'm sorry that I've been proud and selfish and bitter. I'm sorry for these things. And he says, I know. I forgive you. I forgive you. And grace as we understand grace, we begin to understand the depth of our need of grace and the glory of His forgiveness. And that is the beauty of the two. The two come together. When grace is cheap for us, when grace is easy for us, when grace is uncostly for us, it's because we don't recognize how much we need it. It's because we don't feel too bad before God. And it's because we think we're really kind of on a par with Him. And so, there's a parallel between our understanding of the need for forgiveness and our understanding of grace. But forgiveness is a great thing. If you've done wrong to somebody, you know there's a knot in your stomach, and that nothing is right until there is reconciliation, until there is forgiveness. And to know that that forgiveness in our spiritual relationship is ultimate. It's with a God who wipes the slate clean. It's a wonderful thing for us to experience and know. And I want to think about just that forgiveness in pictures. A simple kind of person. And I think the Bible knew that, and God knows that, and He gives us things in pictures to help us understand Uh, how significant is God's forgiveness for us? Because I think a lot of the time we live as if God doesn't really forgive us and as if we need to earn that forgiveness. I'm convinced that deep down we wrestle a lot of the time with a feeling of justifying ourselves before God that we earn the right to forgiveness. And we'll look at that a little bit more this evening. And that He... uh, needs to give us forgiveness by right. And yet, as we recognize that His grace is full and free, and not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of His unparalleled love, then it sets us free and redeems us to live our life. When God forgives us, it's very different from our own forgiveness, I think. And we need God's Holy Spirit to apply forgiveness in our lives and to understand it Uh, in our own thinking. Um, Brian read from Psalm uh, 103. It's a very well-known psalm to us, and uh, you'll know the verse that I'm going to refer to in Psalm 103, verse 12. It's the first picture. As far as east is from the west, so far has He removed from us our transgressions. That's the first picture, and I'm going to take four quick pictures from the Old Testament. As far as east 
is distant from the West. And the picture is of putting our sins and our failures and uh, our mistakes completely out of the picture, as far as east is from the west, an infinite distance between our sins and God. That's what he's trying to say. I've put your sins that far away. We're not saved by the skin of our teeth. We're not just saved and no more. He says, I'm telling you that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because of the, the decision that he has made, the life he's lived, the blood that he has bled on the cross, and the resurrection that he has uh, experienced, and the ascension that he now has, sin is done with. It's gone. When you come to Jesus Christ, your sin is done with. It's gone. It's as far as east is from west. You can't, um, you can't measure that. You get so far around the globe. Don't ask me to be scientific about this. I have no idea. But you go around the globe and you go so far and, and you're just as far from the east as from the west. And you never reach there, do you? As far as the east is from the west. It's infinitely far away. And God's saying it's completely out of the picture. But then in Isaiah chapter 58... Um, he gives another picture in Isaiah 38, verse 17. He says, Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish, and your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. I think it's great that we have Old Testament pictures of forgiveness. It just reminds us of the unity of Scripture and of the direction in which the Scriptures are going as it points forward to Jesus Christ, the grace gospel that was always there in Scripture. And he says, Isaiah says that, or God says to Isaiah, I've put your sins behind my back. It's a very deliberate action. Okay, east from west is infinitely far away. I've put your sins behind my back something he's deliberately chosen to do, put them out of sight again. I'm putting your sins, he says, where you used to be. You used to be behind my back, as it were, not facing me, not in relationship with me, not interested in being in relationship with me. Uh, But that is where I'm now putting your sins out of sight away from me. If we turn our back on someone, uh, we generally regard that as a bit of an insult. And in many ways, that's what uh, we do when we sin against God. We're turning our back on Him. But He's saying, here, I'm taking your sin and I'm putting them away from me, out of sight. Second picture. Third picture is from Micah chapter 7. It's always a bit of a challenge to look up Micah in the Bible, one of the minor prophets. I have to sing the Old Testament song to remind me where it is. Micah chapter 7 and verse 19. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. That's another picture I'm not looking at today. And hurl all our iniquities into the depth of the sea. So another picture of what he's doing with our sins. And you see the, the kind of picture that's been built up. 
that he's saying they're out of sight. If you take something, and I'm not talking about something that floats, okay, it just ruins the picture, but something that just when you throw it into the sea, sinks. You know, if you lose something overboard, you're fishing and your watch comes off and it goes down. It goes down. And it just keeps going down and you'll never get it back. You've lost it forever, haven't you? That's the picture that God's giving us here, that it's not just that it drops into the sea, but He has taken our sins and He hurls them into the sea because there's this picture of it's a place from which there's no coming back. Jonah shouldn't have come back from the sea. It was a miracle. It was something that was completely extraordinary. And so he's saying, I am I'm telling you, your sins are not going to come back to bite you. I'm not going to ask you to, to uh, pay for them, I'm, or they're not going to be asked to be paid for again. They've been paid for on the cross. The account is dealt with. They're finished. It's gone. And when you come to me, there's full and free forgiveness. They will not resurface. Don't let Satan paralyze you with failure and with mistakes and with sin. Because as we take them to the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be dealt with. There is no resurfacing, no more accusation. You might die this evening, as a, this morning, sorry, as a Christian, and you needn't fear facing your judge and facing the living God. Sins are dealt with. And the last picture is uh, from Isaiah chapter 43. Again, it's a very well-known passage, and uh, at verse 25, where he says, I, even I, am he who blots uh, blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. It's a kind of picture of a legal judgment, something blotted out of the record. It's no longer there. It's no longer against your name. The guilt you have before God is no longer something that you will be held accountable uh, before God to pay for because the payment has been made. Your day of judgment happened on uh, Calvary. On that Easter day, that Easter weekend, the payment was made. You have no case to answer before God. As a Christian, that is, and I'm speaking to Christians, to those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and entrust their lives to Him. None of these things apply to you yet if you're not a Christian, if you have not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have this picture of being blotted from the record, everything being forgotten, Everything being uh, dealt with out of his mind, out of his sight. I'm sure none of you in this congregation of holy people will ever have been done for speeding. Um, And you'll never have had three points on your license. So you'll not know. I'm speaking theoretically here to you, obviously. Uh, But my sinful past reminds me of these days that sometimes you've had uh, these... uh, record of failure and sin put on your driving license, but after three years, you can send it off, and you can get a new one back that has no blot on it, that is free from that shameful guilt of doing 43 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone, (laughs) and you can feel redeemed and bought back again because your license is clean. It's been blotted. The, the, 
the whole thing is made clean. And that's uh, the picture, obviously, but in a much more solemn and serious and significant way in the, in the book that God has, that He's blotted out the record of our failure and of our sin. And so His invitation from Isaiah 1.18 is, come to me, even though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, be like crimson, they shall be as wool. And that's His great invitation today, isn't it? That uh, we come to Him because we need Him, because we're broken, and because we're guilty. Now, for some people, I think, who are not Christians, uh, can I say with all reverence that uh, they have a hellish life? In the sense that they, there is a real sense that hell feels close. The realities of being separated from goodness and grace, they're living lives that are guilt-ridden, broken, and screwed up. They feel lost, and they feel alone, and they feel hopeless. I long for the day when our churches are full of people like that who are coming because they know there's nowhere else to go, and because for them they can smell the pit of hell in their own experience and their own lives. But they can come to a church like this. They can come to you in your neighborhood. They can come to you the, as a colleague. They can come to you as a friend if, they're, if uh, you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian today, you can come to Jesus Christ, and you can fall on your knees and say, I I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry for the mess of my life. And I'm sorry because I have no answers. And I don't know the way to go. I parted my life to the brink of hell. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know where to go. Isn't that great news for them today? Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Isn't that the gospel? Have we forgotten that great gospel? Is it all academic for us? Have we lost sight of our own need and of our own brokenness before the living God? See, for some, hell's very close. But I think for many of us, hell is just still a bit of a joke. It's far away from our experience. It's far away from our theological understanding. It's far away from our concept of grace. And we fail to see that on the cross is a hell experience. We hate hell, don't we? We hate the, the idea of it. We hate the thought of it. We hate discussing it. We hate when it's brought up by people who aren't Christians. But the reality is that the cross is an expression of that darkness is expression of the depth of our need. It's expression of the cost that Jesus had to go to, the hell that he had to experience to set us free. And the lives that we're living, or the, the world in which we're living, has plenty of evidence of things being hugely wrong. But maybe for us, hell is a bit of a joke. Maybe as Christians, we've lost sight of that ongoing need daily for forgiveness we just glance around at each other and we think, I'm as good as the next Christian. 
I'm doing as well as the minister, or I'm as holy as I can possibly be. And we've lost sight of, of the perfection of God and the invisibility of the big sins. You know, we're not talking about the kind of ordinary sins, but we're talking about that deep-seated self-centeredness, the deep-seated individuality, that long-held uh, love for ourselves at the expense of serving others and serving the living God. These kind of invisible sins that we never see, intangible and sinful, obvious ways, but can eat and gnaw at us greatly. If we've lost sight of these things, maybe that we're able to pray, and it's, it's my prayer because I just fail to see it so often. Lord God, show me exactly why I need you. Show me my own weakness and my own poverty of spirit and the invisible sins that separate me from you and from other people. Show me the reality of a lost eternity. Show me the reality of being separated from you. And may I respond to that invitation to come for forgiveness and grace. So it's a great invitation and it's a great reality for us. I just want to say a little bit about why having stressed that when we come to Christ that all is forgiven. Maybe I haven't said this, but we believe it. Sins past, present, and future, the sins you'll commit tomorrow, all done and dusted, all forgiven, all cleansed, nothing. We have nothing before God that can uh, be held against us. Everything is forgiven. The work has been done by Jesus on the cross. He has paid the price for us. If that's the case, if it's done and dusted, and if we press this language of grace and forgiveness so much, why then? Why does John in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, why does he say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, as if it's the mere confession of them that means we'll be forgiven. Why do we need to confess our sins? Why do we need to pray for forgiveness if our sins are already forgiven? Why do we do that? Why should the most uh, passionate and holy and godly Christian be spending their lives praying for forgiveness? Uh, to the living God if it's all done and dusted? Well, I think the simple answer to that is it's both the language and the reality of grace in our lives. It's the language of grace and it's the reality of grace in our lives. It's evidence for us of a new life of dependence on the living God. A new life of dependence on God. Go back to my text. And him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins in accordance with the riches, the lavish riches of his grace. So as we recognize grace in our lives, as we recognize God's forgiveness in our lives, as we recognize our relationship with him, then we live a life where we are dependent on him and where we ask for forgiveness. Why is that the case? Why does grace do that for us? I think it does it because we've come to know ourselves, 
We've come to know God, and we've come to know each other. That's the reality of grace in our lives. We've come to know ourselves. When we've come to Christ for the first time, maybe in our lives, well, definitely for the first time in our lives, there's a spiritual battle rages, and it's a battle that carries on raging until we meet Him on the last great day uh, or until we meet Him in death. There's a battle that rages in our lives as we love God and as we know God. We begin to recognize the remaining sin that's in us. It's dealt with, it's forgiven, but we recognize the tension that there is within our own lives, and we're changed. And so we come to Him to sense that forgiveness. There's a sensitivity in us to doing things wrong that wasn't there before. And grace drives us simply to His presence to know and to experience that forgiveness again. It's nice here. It was horrible leaving Edinburgh. It was foggy and you couldn't see the sun at all, and we rarely have sunny days. But on a really nice, hot, sunny day, you could be inside a building like this, and you could know that it's sunny out there, and you could know it's warm, and you could know it's a beautiful day. But you wouldn't really experience that from inside the building, especially not a church building. You retain the cold sometimes in the old buildings. But what you would do is, you, it's great to go outside, isn't it? And just put your face to the sun and feel the heat of that. And feel the warmth of it and feel the goodness of it. And it's the same with forgiveness. We know we're forgiven. We understand we're forgiven. But it's important for us to head in the direction of Jesus Christ and bask in that forgiveness and enjoy it as we ask Him for it and recognize that He is so willing to give it to us in our lives. It's a sense of just receiving what He's so willing and has already promised He will give. We come to know ourselves and our need of that forgiveness. And as we come to know ourselves, we come also to know Him, don't we? We're told in verses 3 to 6 of this passage that we have read that we have been saved uh, before the beginning of the world. We've been saved to live uh, lives that are holy and blameless in His sight. That's His will for us. And we face the battle every day of not sensing that holiness and that blamelessness. And we see His beauty and we see His love and we want to be more like Him. So we're going into His presence and we are asking for the forgiveness of the things which are not holy and blameless, knowing we will receive that and asking for His grace to change us. We come to know ourselves and we come to know God and we come to know uh, others this letter is written to the saints. In Ephesus, we become part of a, the people of God. And when we become part of the people of God, it's a life of lived out grace. You know, and that's what we're talking a lot about these days in terms of evangelism, isn't it? It's not so much the lonely furrow that we're plowing on our own that's important, however significant and important it is but it's how we're living our lives together as community, as a reflection of God's grace that's going to be powerful and evangelistic in a world that needs to see grace being outworked. Living grace, living forgiveness never happens in a vacuum. It's never just a a monastic truth. It's never something that we live in a room on our own somewhere. Sorry, I'm pointing up here because... In my church, there's a room up there on where I sit in my own. Johnny, no friends. But as we come to know other people, 
uh, and as we come to know other people in Christ, then there's going to be a need, is there not, for forgiveness, praying for forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, giving forgiveness. Is that not a massive element of this coin? Isn't it the other side of grace that uh, we love to speak about? We love to talk about the love of God and the grace of God and, the, for- and the, the glory of what gives us. And we even love to talk about the forgiveness of God to us. But sometimes we forget then to take that and apply it tangibly and practically and in an earthy way in our Christian lives. We are, remember, a prodigal people. That's what we are. We're a people of the second chance. Therefore, we are to be a people with and among one another who are willing to be wronged. Don't make a song and a dance about everyone's mistakes and errors around us in the church who have a short memory for the failings of other people. Isn't it so often the opposite? That we have an elephant's memory for everyone else's failure. But we're quick to receive the instant and complete forgiveness of God for our own. We recognize that grace in our lives means that it covers a multitude of sins. There's lots of things that are in a love relationship in a community, insignificant and can be covered because we love, because we know that we have been loved and we know what God has done for us. We're slow to judge. We don't hide behind the failure of other people. We don't shout loud about our own rights and about our own perfections. I've generally found that those who shout loudest have the most to hide. We're not finger pointers, but forgiveness is the air that we breathe. And that, my friends, is really difficult. It's why we need to go back to God, because our attitudes and our decisions and our choices and our behavior and our conversation is so often unforgiving and graceless. So as I close the challenge for us, challenge for me and challenge for you, both in our life together and in our life apart. The challenge in our life together is revolutionary. The gospel's always revolutionary. It's always radical. It's always really different, but it's not different just for the person next to you. It's different for you, and it's different for me. The revolution is that our churches are to be grace-filled, forgiving places where forgiveness is sought and offered and accepted freely and fully on a regular, ongoing, committed basis. Isn't it tragic for some of us and for many of us at different times that the church can be the most unforgiving place that we find ourselves in? the most harsh, the most critical, the quickest to condemn. I don't know what it is about that mentality. Is it because we all think we've got God on our side, and so everyone else must be wrong? I'm not sure what it is, but it can often be that place. Isn't it true that many people will not, they'll say, I'll never darken the door of a church, because what they found there was not Jesus Christ. 
and his grace and his forgiveness. So in our lives together, and this is kind of the, I guess, the practical application of this wonderful truth of being forgiven by God and of him uh, just uh, putting our sins out of his sight. Practical thing is we need to do the same. That's the harsh reality, but it's not harsher. That's the burdened reality, but it's not a heavy burden because he enables us to bear it. It is that we are to be forgiving. You will need to forgive one another in this church as I in my church will need to be forgiven and uh, forgive others. Undoubtedly in this church, as in every community of believers, you'll be hurt, you'll be let down, There'll be times when you'll be treated badly. And there's no excuse for that in any church, is there? In any of our churches. But it's reality. And it'll be a test of your grace. How will we respond? Will we respond in a natural way? In the way that the golf club would respond or the bowling club or our colleagues in a normal workplace would respond? Or do we respond spiritually? Do we allow these hurts to strip us back, to enable us to grow and to experience and to offer forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a vague soul concept to give us comfort as we rub our own backs uh, on our way to sleep. It is practical, gutsy Christian living. We need to live it and show it. That's what will make our churches burst with people because people are longing to belong to communities of grace and forgiveness. And that's what somehow, and I'm not sure what the answer is, that's somehow how we as communities of grace need to go out and live that and reflect it so people see it. In our lives together and also in our lives apart, you come to God's house, you come to worship, you come to be equipped the saints of God to be equipped to live Christian lives in the world, both together and apart. Well, we must take that equipping of forgiveness and live it in the world that we inhabit. It's a foreign currency in most places, the forgiveness of God and the grace of God, but it's the currency that turns the world upside down. So in your workplace, in your college, your university, in your home, in your neighborhood. God asks you and God asks me to live a life of grace and forgiveness. And that can be, at the co-face of living, a great challenge. May by His grace and by the empowering of His Holy Spirit, may we be enabled so to live. Amen. Let's pray briefly together. Father God, we thank you for the astounding reality of your grace and of your forgiveness, forgiveness that comes from the lavish outpouring of your love on our behalf. We thank you that we can come simply recognizing our need, and we pray that we might come with a great ability to say sorry 
not so that we can fill up our hearts and lives with more gunge and more sin and more rubbish until we next say sorry, but with the fruit of repentance, with a desire to live that holy and blameless life that can only be lived as we work out grace and forgiveness on a day-to-day basis. So help us, we pray. Bless and guide us and draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.